0: If you have your Bibles, if you would, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to pick up in chapter 5 at verse 15. We'll read the passage and then I'll, I'll pray for us. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, we're going to read through 21. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for Trinity Fellowship, and I thank you for your word. Would you please, please allow your spirit to come and help us understand the text, to do the thing that I can't do and open eyes and speak to hearts and heal where healing needs to happen this morning and resurrect where resurrection needs to happen this morning and strengthen where strength needs to happen this morning. Would you please let the word do the thing that you have promised it will do and not return void. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. For much of my life as a Christian, uh, people have treated this idea of wisdom as if it was this elusive treasure that you both wanted and never wanted at the same time. It was the thing you were always praying for over situations, from parenting to dating, uh, from moving to getting a new job, but it was also the thing that you were constantly warned about, that Be careful, never pray for wisdom, because if that happens, bad things will happen to you. That apparently is the only way that you learn wisdom. And at some level, I I get the the train of thought, right? That Paul tells the Romans that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. So the, the logic is, the only way I can really learn wisdom is through experience that I have to go through things in order to gain wisdom, and sometimes the things that I have to go through are going to cause me pain, like standstills on I-40, right? (laughs) And and I, I get it. I get the thought process. But what if acquiring wisdom wasn't really that difficult and scary? It's actually not. And that's what we're going to look at today as we look through walking in wisdom through the text today. We'll dig in 15 through 21. As we get into the portion of this letter, Paul is continuing his thought that he has had through really the back half of the letter. There, There's this really divide from about chapter 4 on, that the first half of the chapter... Paul is laying out our theology and then the last half of the chapter he's laying out how we should live in light of that reality or the way the scholars and the theologians put it, he's giving you the indicative and the imperative. Here, he wants you to see what it looks like to walk in wisdom. And he ties it together with this idea of walking in light. And so here, Paul really tells us kind of two ways that it looks like to walk wisely first it's it's going to look like looking where you're going and and we're looking see that in verses 15 through 17 and secondly we're going to see that it looks like being filled with the spirit and that'll cover 18 through 21 so looking where you're going 15 through 17 and being filled with the spirit in 18 through 21 so for my type a note takers that's where i'm going today Paul begins chapter 5 by having this discussion. And it's a familiar outline that he's had in many of his letters, and it's familiar really even in throughout the whole letter of Ephesians. He reminds us who we are, that we are light. And because we are the light, we're called to walk in that light and avoid darkness. And notice the identity language that he continues to use here. This is who we are, so this is how you live. It's not law language, it's not if you keep this list of rules, this will be true for you. It's not if you follow all these things, if you check all these boxes, then you'll maintain God's favor. No, it's grace language. And because of what Christ has done and because of who he is, that's shaping who we are and how we are to be. This is who you are now. So walk in it. Walk in the light. And walking in the light first looks like looking at where you're going. Let's pick up in verse 15 again. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Paul uses this word walk time and time again in Ephesians to describe the way that we're supposed to live in light of this new identity. 2.1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following after the course of this world, following after the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of, of the calling to which you have been called, 5-2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, 5-8, for at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord, walk as children in the light. You think Paul wants you to understand how to walk? You think he's kind of driving that point home? It's important to understand how that word is used here. It's the idea of locking kind of march step in a certain direction. So when he tells you in one that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and once, and once you once walked, he tells you you were following after the prince of the power of the air, that you were in lockstep with Satan, and now you have been transferred, Formed and tr- now walk lockstep with Jesus and then he time and time again in, in as many ways as he possibly can like a good preacher and a good pastor he's telling you the same thing over and over and over again just in various different ways he wants you to see how you should walk and it's such an important distinction to understand this word walk I'm convinced that more and more as I talk to Christians that we don't understand this. We get caught up in our bent for more law that we miss Paul's continuing call to identity. He's not talking to us about what we might be someday. He's telling you who you are now. And because of who you are now, this is how you walk. And I think it's important because I talk to Christians on a regular basis who I'm thoroughly convinced love Jesus. I'm thoroughly convinced they've been transformed by the Holy Spirit. And yet, they so often think I need to white knuckle or I need to work really hard, I need to make sure that I'm constantly killing this flesh, and I'm constantly at war, I need to constantly be on my game, and it leads them to a place of of not understanding exactly the language that's happening here. Here, Paul is telling you, you are light. You are in Christ. You are forgiven. You are changed. This is who you are, so walk in that reality. And when we don't, it's not as if we have lost it or need to try to regain it, as if God is an absent dad or a forgetful father of what he has done. But it's just the reality of we've forgotten who we are. That's why we have to hear the gospel every single week. And this is such an important distinction. You are children of light, you are the light in the Lord, you are loved you are forgiven, you are alive, so walk in it. So it's not surprising that he does the same thing in verse 15 and tells you again, look carefully then how you walk. And then he tells you how to walk this way. I have a neighbor um, that lives down the street. He's a new Christian, and he wants to have coffee on a regular basis, and he's got all... The types of questions in the world. He wants to argue about everything from Reformed theology to politics to, as he affectionately refers to it, the book of Revelations. Like he just wants to talk about it all, and I'm like, well, there's just one revelation, but we'll get to that. And so on a regular basis, I have my buddy over, and we sit at the coffee table and we talk about whatever it is that he's having questions about. Why? Because I'm teaching my little brother. How to walk. It's no different than how we learned how to do kind of basic chores, right? That when it was time for us to learn how to wash the dishes, so mom and dad would would be able to kind of outsource that that chore and not have to do it as often, what did they do? They brought us up to the sink and they said, all right, I'm going to wash a dish and then you try. And parents all over the world have been trying to do that ever since. (laughs) Right? Right? Here, Paul's doing the same thing. Time and time again, he's going, church, this is how you walk. This is how you walk. This is who you are. When you mess up, when you give into the flesh, when you gratify the desires of the flesh, when you are walking in sin, it's not as if you've lost your salvation, or for, it's just that you've forgotten who you are. You don't have to wake up every single day and kill the corpse. You have been crucified in Christ. And now, it's not you who live, but Christ who lives, and you live in Christ. Stop trying to resurrect that dead corpse. That's who you used to be. This is who you are now. Remember that and walk in it. Paul's teaching us, like a good big brother, how to walk. And then he tells you, how to do this in three distinct ways. First, he tells us, verse 16, making the best use of our time because the days are evil. Wisdom is understanding how to manage your time. But here, Paul isn't giving you a TED talk on how to be more productive. Instead, he's saying, in order to walk wisely, you need to understand that eternity is at stake. Now... Personal confession time, I'm a, I'm a video game guy, right? I like, like just kind of wind down, try to lead my team to the Super Bowl because it's never going to happen in reality. Like that's, that's what I like to do, right? And I, and I especially get caught up in a good Netflix documentary. Anybody else like just you'll get lost in a Netflix documentary? It's okay. You can admit it. And everybody, everybody does it, right? I, and, and I get it. And then I get to text like this, and it kind of smacks me in the face, make the best use of your time, because the days are evil. Probably didn't need seven episodes, or probably could have done two, right? And Netflix gets you, because it's like, next episode in five, four, three, two, and you're like, well, I was going to get up, but never mind, I'm here now, Right? And these verses kind of smack you in the face. Not that there's anything inherently wrong with playing video games or inherently wrong with watching Netflix, but if it gets to the point to where we can get so easily caught up in little things, whatever it is, that it steals our time and we live as if we've got all the time in the world. And we really don't. We really do not. If you don't believe me that we don't have all the time in the world, I want you to take an older saint here to lunch today and ask them how fast it feels as if time is running. Time flies. And then think about the kingdom work and the opportunity that we have to participate in. Loving our kids. Dinner with our neighbors gospel conversations with those relatives or those coworkers that we've been meaning to have and we weren't really sure how to start. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. This isn't, this isn't a proclamation from Paul to invite you to be a prepper and gather all your canned goods and weapons and hide yourself from the world because of how scary it is. No, it's a reminder that eternity rests in the hearts of men, that we have the hope that in this moment when faith comes from hearing and hearing from the Word of God, that as you share the gospel and the hope of Jesus with your friends, coworkers, children and family, eternities can change. That of all the things God decided to do, he decided to use us broken sinners to look at someone else and say, I've got hope for you. But then he also tells us another way in which we can be wise. He goes on, verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, this is one of those concepts that's talked about in such a mysterious way, kind of like wisdom. But I think we overthink it here. Paul here is telling us that the wise person knows what the will of the Lord is. Another way to translate this, to help us understand this, could be understand what the desire of the Lord is. Now, only if we had a book or something that could tell us what God's desire was for the things he has created. And if only we were in a tradition that had like a Q&A format where like we could learn what the, the chief end of man was, away, right? Like we, we get so in our heads about what it looks like to discern the will of the Lord that we forget that we have the will of the Lord in 66 books, two testaments, and then we have a faithful summary to help us understand the thing that's going to tell us about the will of the Lord. It's great. It's one of the things I love about being Presbyterian. Paul here is telling you, you can understand the will of the Lord, his desire for you. Remember what the psalmist said? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path and it's no surprise here that Paul uses language of light and dark in chapter 5 and then follows it up by talking about wisdom in terms of watching where you're walking and discerning what the will of the Lord is that that you're going to be walking on this path so you're going to need light so you know where this path is and guess what the light is your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. We don't have to guess what the will of the Lord is. We don't have to guess what his desire for our lives is. It's not an encrypted fortune cookie that we have to try to decipher and figure out what it means. We have the word of God, and in it is everything that we need for what? For life and godliness. How often have we taught our kids these questions, and we often forget it. And notice how it builds on one another. Paul urges us to look how we're walking. Avoid being unwise. Well, what does the unwise do? Unwise wastes time. The unwise is foolish. The unwise gets caught up in the here and now and forgets that eternity is at stake. So then Paul tells you not to be foolish. And you go, okay, how does that work? Well, basically all foolish means is don't, That's being unwise. It's the same thing. He's telling you the same thing over and over. But how do we do that? We discern the will of the Lord. Okay, Paul, so how do we do that? By going back time and time again to the very place that we find wisdom, and that wisdom can be found in the Word of God. But Paul knows that life is hard, and Paul understands that, And that's why the Spirit leads Paul to tell us this third thing on how to look where we're going, and he says, verse 18, and don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. See, we we so often think that the Bible was written so many years ago that it's, it's they were primitive in their thoughts and they don't deal with the complexities of how, how we have life today. And it, and it isn't really relative and, and, and life is so much different and we've evolved in, to such an enlightened state and we're proven wrong time and time again. And it's not surprising here that Paul is talking about walking out our faith and he has to stop. And of all the things he could tell you, he tells you don't get drunk. And you're going, okay, check. I, can, I cannot do that. But why? Because some days it seems like a really good idea. Some days life and work and parenting and marriage and bills and everything else hits you in the face so hard that you think to yourself, I just want to sit in a dark room alone from everyone and drink. Yeah, the preacher said it. (laughs) Let's be honest. Life hits you like that. And God, the Spirit, knows it. Life is hard. And the world is broken. And sometimes you want to numb the pain. And Paul is telling you when that happens, don't. There's a better way. Now notice what he doesn't say here. It's easy easy for us to again move back into law here and say, see, wine is debauchery and the Bible says don't get drunk so you shouldn't drink. That's not what he says. Here, Paul is telling you as you walk in life and especially as you seek to discern the will of the Lord and live in light of who you are, sometimes life is going to hurt. You're going to want to escape. Fight the urge and instead seek to be filled with the Spirit. Now, you may be confused by this word debauchery. It's one of those old school words that really just can be hard to understand. Here all Paul is saying that if you try to numb yourself from all that's going going on in your life, all that's going to do is lead to recklessness and not life. It's the Spirit who gives life, not grapes and barley. Grapes and barley are parts of creation. God created them, and he created you. And while they're good things, they're not ultimate things. So when we try to find our life and hope and satisfaction in good things that aren't ultimate things, then we get disappointed when they don't live up to expectation. That instead, run to the one who raised you from the dead. And that leads us to this second aspect of walking into wisdom. We see that walking in wisdom also means being filled with the Spirit in verses 18 through 21. It says this, but be be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, just like before, we can hear this phrase, be filled with the Spirit, and conjure up all sorts of possibilities for what that might could mean. We start thinking about those friends that we have that we sit with in Starbucks, and they tell you all the time about how spiritual they are and how the lord's telling them all sorts of things and you think that must be nice that never happens to me and they talk about these you know they sit on their back porches and they have instagram-esque devotions and you're going dude i was in leviticus on the struggle bus i don't know like i was in numbers trying to figure it out and if i get through all the begots i'll be doing great like that That's the kind of thing we start to think about. Or maybe it starts to define the type of church that you are. Are you a spirit-filled church, brothers and sisters? Are you a full gospel church, brothers and sisters? As if the gospel could be fractions like a measuring cup, as if you were a third the gospel, or a sixth the gospel versus the full gospel. We get to this part, and we're expecting something super deep. All right, Paul. Show me what it means to be spirit-filled. I think I am graduated enough in the gospel that I can figure this out. Show me the complexity. It sounds intricate. It sounds advanced. But then the Spirit, again, via Paul, is like, no, it's not that complicated. Let me show you how this works. Are you all ready to hear how to be spirit-filled? Here we go. Sing the gospel. Give thanks to God always and for everything. Remember that it's the Father through Jesus who gives you what you need. Submit yourself to a covenant community who does these things every week. That's it. I can sit down now. <laughs> I talk with Christians all the time who constantly are looking for more. And I get it. I get it. I often fall into that same Trap that I think I need to be moving forward and progressing and graduating. That's our tendency to think we need to advance past the ordinary means of grace. And if you're, you didn't grow up Presbyterians, all the, all the ordinary means of grace means is the Word preached and read, prayers, baptism, the Lord's Supper, reading the Scripture, singing the Scripture, what we do every week. And bookstores are filled and conferences sold out with this, all these techniques and all these strategies for what real spiritual and deep Christians are supposed to be doing. And they cover the gamut from everything from practicing the presence of God to girl, wash your face. And it's just this whole gamut. You either got to wash your face or try to constantly practice presence and you're not really sure what you, you should be doing at any given moment didn't think anybody should have to explain to you to wash your face, but it is what it is. But notice what's said here. Being filled with the Spirit looks like what we're doing here today. And notice how he applies it. First, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's much healing and restoration that happens when we meditate on the things that we're singing. Music is a powerful thing, and God knows that. He made it, so why would he not use it to communicate the gospel to us? Think about the songs we sang today, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It was grace that brought me safe thus far, and it's grace that's going to lead me home. Like, those things matter. It matters what we sing in church. That's why I'm so thankful for my buddy Heath, who spends. Time picking out songs that are going to help you instead of chants and unbiblical, terrible things that sound catchy. Like those words need to speak to your heart. Have you thought about the words that the songs that you sing today? What about this classic? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The song isn't telling you how to try to please God with your rule keeping. You don't have to be good enough or smart enough or try hard enough, and you couldn't anyway. The only hope that you and I have of our sin being forgiven is the blood of Jesus. And what about the Psalms? Have you ever read the Psalms to level out your emotions? Maybe not. But how bipolar is David, right? Think about some of the things he says. Lord, you're my refuge. Why have you left me? You are my rock and my redeemer. Why are you letting my enemies attack me? The Spirit knows how tough life is, and he knows the brokenness that the world has brought. Brings anxiety, it brings depression, it brings all sorts of darkness and brokenness. And here are verses and songs and poems and journal entries in the scriptures to help you know that you're not the only one that feels this way. Next, he says, Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. When we worship, When we sing each week, we are reminding ourselves of the truth of the gospel that regardless of the type of week that we have or anything that we're facing at this moment, that God is God, that He is in control, and He is for us. What about how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that He should give His only Son to what? To make a wretch His treasure. That's, that's you and me, friend. We are the wretch that he made his treasure. So regardless of how you want to try to find your identity this week in your parenting skills or your vocation or how things are going with friends, remind yourself he made a wretch his treasure, that you're his, and that's where your identity lies. We come to the Father knowing that he will work his good graces that he will give us everything that we need. That's why we sing every week. It's not because we're morbid and we like to sing about blood just because, right? We're not trying to freak anybody out. But the world has chewed us up and spit us out, and we didn't need to know that our identity isn't in our job or our ability to be good parents or our charisma or our intellect or our success or our failure. It's in Jesus. Jesus. Next he says, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The hard pills to swallow here are the phrases always and for everything, right? Our heart's tendency is to complain always and for everything. But here, we're charged for the opposite. A couple of weeks ago was... Father's Day, and, and we, we adopted Titus last year, so this was my official first Father's Day, and then we just found out a couple weeks ago that Katie is pregnant, so I'm going to have, when the baby gets here, an 18-year-old and an infant, so your prayers and your love offerings are welcome when I get done. But I, my dad and my stepdad are gone. They were both alcoholics, and neither one of them helped me figure out how to follow Jesus. I'll, They were great friends and loved me to death, and and I'm thankful for a lot of things about them, but they didn't teach me how to love Jesus. But I can know and have a Father who gives good gifts to me and loves me and will never give up on me, no matter what, no matter my failures, no matter my shortcomings, no matter whether I've got it together this week or not, he loves me anyway, and he will never give up on me, and I now have the opportunity to be a dad like that. I will fail, and I won't be able to nearly do it as well as God the Father, but I've got an example. So now I have an opportunity and a reason to be thankful always and for everything. But, As I tell you this in the pulpit, I'm going to walk off and go to lunch, and I'm going to forget that. So I need to drag myself back to the covenant community every week and have brothers and sisters remind me and sing with me and go, I forgot too, that's why we're here. We need this, and we need communion, and we need the sermon, because you know we're a basket case, and and we're going to forget next week. So I'm glad to see you. And that's why the prosperity gospel in and of itself is, is the most atrocious thing that America has ever produced because it would lead you to believe that we need more than this, that we need to some sort of advance past this, and yet it leaves us empty when it doesn't provide. And it's so slick. It uses language like overflow and abundance, and I'm believing Jesus for whatever, fill in the blank, as if being spirit-filled is some sort of secret code that breaks the slot machine to heaven. When in reality, it's just a 21st century version of God knows that if you eat from this fruit, you'll be like him. And if you eat, things will be better. That's why Paul gives us this last aspect of what it looks like to be spirit-filled submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's no coincidence that he ends on this call to action as he's about to lead into children and parents and slaves and masters. We need the covenant community in our lives. We need the new family that God has given us to walk beside us and walk us through the good and the bad. We need them to point us to Jesus. We need them to to lift us up. We need to lift them up and point them to Jesus. We are a single body being molded and shaped by the gospel, shining light into the darkness around us and glorifying God through word, through prayer, and through sacrament. Walking in wisdom means looking where you're going. We do this by making the best use of our time, understanding the urgency of eternity, It's understanding the will or the desire of the Lord for our lives and how that's only found in our identity in Jesus and in his word. It's found in communion with the saints and walking in the spirit, being filled and filling yourself up with gospel truth and not falling into the temptation to numb yourself when life gets hard. Wisdom isn't elusive. It isn't scary. It's found in Jesus in the community of brothers and sisters that he's put around us. May we find wisdom in the ordinary means of grace and continue to seek to be filled with his spirit today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we don't have to guess about what wisdom should look like. I thank you that you have given us everything that we need for life, and godliness would you please help us to understand your word today would you please bless the brothers and sisters in Sherwood at Trinity Fellowship and give them opportunity this week to both be strengthened on their own in the word and to advance the gospel to the people of Sherwood and North Little Rock this week we love you it's in Jesus name we pray Amen